As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Hello and welcome back in to an all-new edition of 755 is Real. Producer Cam here with you. And as most of you loyal listeners know, when I start off the show, it means it is a live room edition of the podcast. David and Eric fielding listener questions in the Athletic app. And as always, some sublime questions from those who join the live room. If you weren't able to join the live room this time and want notifications when we do host the live rooms, make sure you're following David and Eric on Twitter at DOBrianATL at eof 34 also, make sure you're following us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get the podcast, and subscribe to us on YouTube. We try to make posts on there as well, letting you guys know when we'll be organizing those rooms. In today's show, rookie of the year question, biggest question on a lot of people's minds, will you pick Spencer Strider or Michael Harris as the NL rookie of the year? David and Eric weigh in on that, and also parlaying that into another listener question, which is the better Braves rookie duo? Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, or Freddie Freeman and Craig Kimbrell? And the guys also answer which of those four they would pick as their rookie of the year. The guys also dive into the recently announced MLB rule changes. How will the pitch clock, shift ban, etc. affect the game? And will it benefit the game moving forward? There are also many other questions in today's show that we hope you guys listen to and enjoy. And as always, without your guys' support, none of this would be possible. So without further ado, here's David and Eric. Hey, before we take some calls, and and this might spur a few questions, um, they're going to vote this afternoon. They're doing it right now, actually, on the three big rule changes. Uh, There might be some others, but the three significant ones that they're voting on, I wanted to get your opinion on a few of those, on on, on all those. They're uh, the pitch clock, shift restriction, and larger basis, Um, the latter being, I guess, what you would think the most insignificant, although – when you think about it, them adding a few inches to each base is going to reduce the length between first and second and second and third by, I think, four and a half inches. And if you think of all the bang-bang plays, which is basically every stolen base, that could be pretty significant. They said when they did this in the minor leagues that it increased stolen base attempts by over 20%. Really? First year. I mean, four and a half inches is quite a bit on some of those plays, If you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't think that that change would really do anything, but 20% more stolen bases in the minor leagues is a pretty big deal. Yeah, attempts, just because, you know, when you break it down, and we, we're, we're cutting edge on where catchers have come so far with pop time, and you're at the cutting edge on what runners can do and the leads they can get with, with uh, slide steps. So this might be able to help bring the stolen base back in the game a little bit because you see the few teams that do it, and a few players that do it, it's exciting because it doesn't yeah. happen much anymore. So when you got a guy that steals even 30 bases at this point of the season, now it feels like what 100 used to. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, I mean, that goes back to the whole banning the shift thing. Um, I, my thing with the shift is I think it does hurt lefties a lot more than righties. So it's a little unfair to have something like that going on in the game that, um, you know, makes it tougher for one sided hitter to hit. Yeah, they can just fill up right field with with guys, yeah. and then it's a short throw. 
Um, but overall, you know, I mean, when I look at all these rule changes, I don't see them tipping the scale or, or making it all of a sudden there's all these extra baseball fans. I think it might improve the quality of the game a little bit, but I think where baseball really needs to focus is getting kids playing the game again with all this. Right. You, know, like you can we do both talking. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just, I don't see any of these making a drastic difference. I like the pitch clock and I think it can make a drastic difference. When you think about all the time that's wasted, that extra 10 seconds between pitches that a lot of pitchers, not all pitchers, some pitchers won't even need the pitch clock because they work so fast. But the ones who take 30 seconds between pitches, those guys are going to have to change what they do. And if it takes 10 minutes off a game, five minutes off a game, I think that's significant. Just move stitches. We've just gotten to the point where there's less action and a lot more time between that action, you know, in the era with three outcomes. There's not as much uh, happening between, uh, uh, you know, between between uh, the the, the longer spaces and guys are stepping out and pitchers are stepping off, you know, and shaking off. And And I just think it's gotten that's all that has uh, been a perfect shitstorm on why the game's gotten so long. You know, there's just not as much going on, but but between pitches are, are in the actual pitch during the actual moments of action. Right. So I, I like it. I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it makes uh, it hinders anything at all. That the 20 seconds when a when there are runners on base and 15 seconds when there are no runners on base. I think that's pretty fair and pretty uh, reasonable for a pitcher to be able to adapt to that if he's using more time than that now. Oh, it's easy. I don't know if, you know, I never had a clock on me when I was pitching, but I mean, you get the ball back, get on the rubber and, you know, put some thought into what you want to throw. And then, you know, catcher puts it down, you throw it. If they don't, you shake to what you want. But there's some of these guys that pace, you know, they walk a half a lap around the the, the mound and then get up and they have this, they have like a come set routine, you know, like this whole it's all eyewash. You know, for me, it's <laughs> get on the mound and throw the ball. So, I, I mean, as far as watching the game, you know, I guess you made a good point. You can work on a lot of things at the same time. But as far as watching the game, um, for me, if, if guys get on the mound and throw the ball, um, it'll be more enjoyable for sure. Especially some closers that you think of over the yeah. years have yeah. made it like every pitch is this drama, you know. They yeah. <laughs> get the ball, stand off the off the mound, or off the rubber for you know ten seconds. Figure, get on the mound, look in, stare in like menacing for five ten seconds. Yeah. Half the time the batter has to step step out, rightfully so because they take so long. All that's going to be eliminated by this. Yeah, I'm cool with that. God, some closers, man. Uh, the one guy that strangled uh, their, that that got in the fight with uh, with Bryce. Papelbon? Oh, Papelbon, yeah. Jesus, he was the epitome of it to me. The game just ground to a halt when he got in there. Yeah, that Baez guy, I think, saw his name for the Dodgers, too. But they've been putting a clock on him. It's like a minute between pitches sometimes. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So that'll that'll be stopped, man. That'll be good. Um, And there's all kinds of rules within that that are, you know, that they have to have because otherwise people are going to figure out ways to get around it. So they've yeah. thought of seemingly of everything on, on, on that pitch clock thing. And it's so much is up to the discretion of the umpires. Um, but, uh, you know, a war, I, it'll, you, the first couple of times that a pitcher gets a ball called against him or a bulk, you're going to, you're going to see that change. You know, I mean, that's going to, that's going to have some teeth in it right there. Somebody pointed out Jansen takes a lot of time between pitches. He, he does. does. You're right. Yeah. He does. And uh, also, I like the I like the part of the rule they can only go uh, twice to, to uh, first base. You can't do there ain't going to be any of those five you know uh, half ass pickoff attempts where you're just trying to keep the guy back, where everybody starts booing and getting antsy. There's not going to be any of that. There's only going to be two a limit. Now, if the runner steals bases, it resets. He gets two more. But I like that that two two disengagement uh, <laughs> limit. I mean, it's going to get tough though if you burn them early, you know, and and you got a real. Uh, a real burner at, at first base. Yeah. And you're already out of picks. I mean, yeah. you just, you're going to have to slide step or you're going to have to hold and, and try to mess up their timing. But once they know you can't pick over. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand what's stopping them from leading off like 12 feet after that. Well, there won't be anything. Just why. That's why. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's and, tough. You know, there is what I do like the part of the rule where, uh, if you after two, if you try it again, 
it's a balk. But unless you pick the guy off, then it's not a balk. So okay, so if he let off fifteen feet, yeah. Okay, that that's what's keeping him from leading off fifteen right. feet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's if you do pick him off, then it's not a balk. Got right. you. I was gonna say. I mean, yeah, that's like what they used to do to Lester. Right, right, exactly. They have thought about it all in that regard. Okay. So that would be the thing that to keep a guy from going that far off. Yeah, you just throw it over, and as long as you get him, you're fine. All right. Okay. But if you don't, say. but if you don't, it's a balk. Okay, I got it. So anyway. Um, and then finally the shift, man, I have come, uh, oh, there's other stuff within it. Like, uh, the catcher has to be in the catcher's box with nine seconds left on the timer. The hitter has to have both feet in the batter's box and be alert to the pitcher. Otherwise have his eyes on him, ready to get ready to, to get in a, in a stance, a hitting stance. As soon as the pitcher goes within eight seconds, the, the hitter's got to be in there. So it's not just penalizing the pitcher. It's also stopping those guys who step out of the box every pitch, yep. readjust their their uh, batting gloves, look at the third base coach, you know, think about, you know, existentialism and everything, and then get back in. It's going to stop all that. Yeah, I don't have any problem with any of it. I mean, I I worked fast my whole career. Maybe that's yep. why I don't – it doesn't bother me. But, I mean, there's just – there's not that much to do. You know, get the ball, get on the mound, get a sign, and throw it again. It's not well, that I know, complicated. I know fielders are going to love it, whether they would ever oh, play yeah. or not. They hate when a pitcher, you know, takes forever. Yeah. Yeah, especially if, you know, if they take forever, they do their whole routine, and then they pick over, and then they do it two more times, and then they're 2-0. Yeah. You know, there hasn't been any action in like a minute 45, not even a swing right. or a foul ball, and they're right. just standing there on their heels. It's it, Yeah, it's brutal. Fielders hate that. They love quick action. And then finally, uh, the biggest one probably of all is, well, obviously it is, is the shift. I mean, I have come 180 degrees on this, man. Uh, three years ago, four years ago, I was in the, in the camp that said, you've never – prevented a manager from positioning his players where he wanted to position them in 130 years of baseball or whatever it's been. Why start now? Well, that's irrelevant because the game has completely changed with analytics, with scientific placement of, of fielders exactly where they need to be. And as a result, we're seeing legitimate guys are taught their whole careers to hit the ball hard, not worry about where it goes. You can't control that after it leaves the bat. Well, that's fine and dandy, but if the analytics are positioning guys exactly where you hit it a majority of the time, you're going to be punished for hitting the ball hard, you know, <laughs> the way you've been trained to do it. Because unless you can unless you can figure a way to aim the ball, you know, so I've I've come completely around on this and I'm for this because I think it's this is going to get back to being the game that we've loved rather than changing the game. I don't think it's changing the game. I think the shifts have changed the game. Yeah, for sure. Well, the shifts are what led to everybody trying to hit the ball in the air anyway. Yeah. You know, in the first place was if I hit the ball hard to the right side and there's four guys over there, you know, what are my odds of getting a knock? So hitters shifted the idea to, all right, well, we're just going to drive the ball in the air. That's our best chance to get on base. And that's where – you know, all the launch angle discourse and everything came from in the first place was hitters yep. getting sick of hitting really hard ground balls yep. in the shift. I mean, Brian McCann, your buddy, man, yep. has had his, had his career really uh, – he might have been a Hall of Famer, and he, and he might still be, but, I mean, he he might have been a legitimate easy choice for Hall of Fame as the shifts had not, you know, changed the second half of his career so much. Well, yeah, and that's why I think it hurts lefties more because you can play um, – yep so many guys out so much deeper into the outfield especially slow lefties yep slow lefties and it's a short it's a short throw still relatively yep. for the second baseman or shortstop yep. whoever goes out there but you know early on in my career those the hits you gave up to lefties were top spin really hard hit singles you know they're, they're ground balls that almost pick up speed because of all that spin they put on them and they just snuck through you know they don't yeah. they don't do a ton of damage, but right. Um, you lose thirty of those a year as a yeah. as a hitter. I mean that's that's killing your average. Yeah, I mean the shift probably took you know fifty points off without exaggerating. B Max, look at just look at his, his stats, his batting average in his first five, six, seven years compared to the second half of his career. I mean it's that was the biggest reason. wasn't any other reason. He's getting older, no. yeah, but he was still hitting the ball where he used to hit it. 
Well, then now you're changing your swing and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you because you don't understand the math of now you're still hitting 285. It's just, you know, one out of four of your hits are getting taken away now. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and, and you can't just say bonnet and beat the shift because most guys are incapable of doing that. Not because they haven't bunted in so long, which they haven't. They don't, they're not taught to bunt anymore. They don't work on it all year. They get it in spring training and then barely at all during the year, most teams. But uh, you can't just lay down a bunt to the left side against a guy throwing 98 mile an hour sinkers, you know, and, and, and 101 fastballs and changeups as hard as fastballs used to be. It's just different. You can't do that anymore. These, these, these sliders, these just devastating sliders, these wipeout sliders, you got no chance. So it's just different bunting today than it was 15 years ago. Yeah. And they, as far as pitching goes, they pitch to the way they're playing you. You know, it's, it's not like they, they shift you to pull and then just throw you sinkers away. Yeah. You know, they're they're not doing you the favor of of something that you can stay inside and just flip on the ground the other way. They're pounding you in with cutters, making their pitch. And the only thing you can do with that, I mean, you could maybe get lucky and flare one the other way up in the air. But for the most part, you know, these teams are not, I mean, this isn't like a, they're not just looking at a lefty and saying, oh, he pulls the ball a lot. Let's just throw everybody over there and then just throw shit all over the place. Like it's very scientific how they're, how they're approaching these hitters now and getting them to hit into the defense that they've programmed. Yeah. Try bunting a 95 mile an hour cutter. Yeah. You, you, got, you might get killed. Um, so I like it. Um, it's going to hurt the Braves, but it's going to hurt every team that, 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 that uh, has become really adept and uh, at, at the shift because the Braves are probably, you know, They've really gotten good at it in the last few years because they, with their heavy emphasis on analytics, they've become really good at positioning guys. But, I mean, how many times has there, has there been a line drive up the middle right to Dansby standing behind second base? I mean, they are great with the placement. And you're not going to see Austin Riley sprinting over from uh, third base to shallow right field anymore nope. uh, with, two, with two strikes and an at-bat. They could still, I mean, you're still going to be able to throw that shortstop right next to second base, just not on the yeah. other side of it, right? Yeah, yeah, he could still be there. And and Dansby will be and still be able to get to a lot of those balls, most of the ones, but but uh, not 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 standing behind second base like they have to. they got to be clearly on the side of the base, two fielders, and they can't be standing out in the outfield either. So, so they can't even have a foot in the grass. You've got to be two fielders in front of the edge of the outfield grass, two, two fielders on each side of second base on the dirt. Oh, wow. That's going to be minimum. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more just, just you know, hard hit ground balls sneaking through. Oh, yeah. Minimum. You could bring another, you could bring an outfielder to the dirt and have five infielders if you want. Yep. Which can't do well, the, I think that'd uh, be, that could be good for the pace of play, too, is if guys could get rewarded. Because, you know, most of the swings and misses you see are that top of the zone fastball that that everybody's chasing. But they have to chase. They have to look up in the zone because they got to lift it now. You know, uh-huh. they, they're, they're laying off the pitches down in the zone or at least trying to lift balls down the zone. Nobody's happy with a hard hit ground ball because like nine out of ten times now you're out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the team has to designate two fielders that have to be used on either side of the base, and they can't swap during the game, too, unless there's like an injury or something or substitution for one of those infielders. So interested to see how this goes. Yeah, and then, it's, then again, so much is left up to the umpire to decide, you know, whether they were in compliance with the shift. And teams can challenge whether the shift was was in, whether whether the other team was in compliance with the shift. Like you know, did a guy move before the pitch was thrown where he wasn't clearly on you know the, the side of the left or right side of the second base or something, or, or whether they were on the dirt, that kind of thing. I mean, you see guys timing their sprint to the position that the analytics yeah. want them in. That'd be pretty funny to watch. Yeah, and you know, there's going to be some guys that that sprint right out to the outfield right when the pitch is thrown. Yeah, you know, from second base out <laughs> in the shallow right, I would think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, but then the umpires have discretion to penalize the fielding team with a ball if the umpire detects players attempting to circumvent the rules. 
I'm not a pitcher, man. How pissed are you going to be if that <laughs> Especially some pitchers that didn't like the shift, you know, to begin with. I don't know many of them don't like it anymore, but they didn't used to back in the day. But now it's going to be they don't like when guys are, are moving as soon as the ball's thrown. They're like, just stand there, you idiot. You cost me a ball. Or even if you see a guy trying to run into this position that he's supposed to be in, you know, that the numbers say. And right. The ball gets hit right where he was. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. It's a lot of big, it's a lot of uh, major stuff. I mean, people wanted stuff done. They're finally getting around to doing it, and that's uh, so they can't complain about them, them not doing anything to try to speed up the game and cause more action. And I'm for it. I'm for anything that's going to get more get base stealing back in the game. I love base stealing, but especially cut if you could just shave ten minutes off a game. I think it would be pretty important because it's going to make it feel like it's moving faster when there's less time between pitches. That's what people don't yeah. like, especially. Especially you know, a younger generation likes more action. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's probably the best one is just getting pitchers on the ball, throwing them, you know, on the mound, throwing the ball because yeah, and get and getting hitters in the damn box, man. <laughs> yeah, just let's go. <laughs> Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, right, we're we're taking some questions. All right, let's see who we got. Do you see Matzik at risk of being on the playoff roster? I see that would pop up. No, he's on the playoff roster. Why wouldn't he be? Robert G. How's it going, guys? Good. I've seen uh, EY working with uh, Vaughn Grissom in left field. I know we have Ozuna out there now. Just kind of, I know you're kind of closer to all this stuff than we are. So, have they been impressed with what he's done out there, Grissom wise? Like, taking building practice or is it kind of a experiment that maybe you have to take on the off season? No, I think we're going to see him out there. I mean, they, they, his bat is too good to take out of the lineup. They're not going to send him to triple a. I mean, they're not going to bench him. He's too good a hitter right now. Now maybe teams adjust eventually, but he's been up here a month now, you know, and he's still doing, he had four hits the other day. He could have had five. So this kid's for real. And they're not, they'd be stupid to take his bat out of the lineup. I mean, and right now it's just four games and a rehab assignment, but I don't think you can expect Ozzy just to step back in the lineup and be himself, big peak Ozzy. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he hadn't even hit his stride this year before he got hurt. So it's kind of silly to think he's going to take months off, step back in the lineup and be his old self pre 2022, you know, be all-star Ozzy. So, um, and then, and then, you know, they're not going to play sentimental favorites and all that. They got Ozzy for the long term. That doesn't mean they have to play him every day down the stretch and in the playoffs this year. I mean, the year I, the year I, I keep remind, reminding myself of Austin Riley, the year he came up as a rookie. Now, he was a rookie, granted. And he was in, on fire his first 25 games, 20, 25 games, then hit the big slump, then hurt his knee, then came back. And he had like three weeks to show he was ready for the postseason roster. And he didn't impress him enough. They left him off the roster. I know Ozzy is a multiple, two-time All-Star. It's a different story. But... My point being, they're going to take the best players. Now, Ozzy can't just expect to be just step back in the lineup and play every day if he's not performing, and you just have this guy sit on the bench. And right now, Ozuna is starting to show signs of really contributing again. So, um, I don't know. I, I, it seems like a, a reasonable expectation would be Ozuna more at DH and Grissom some in left field because I think Grissom is probably as good or better than Ozuna without even playing in left field, you know, just working <laughs> out there a little. He's that good an athlete with so much better arm than Ozuna. But uh, the two of them could be DH quite a bit. And I know that uh, Contreras has been, has hit really well as a DH, but 
you know, something's got to give, and you're going to have to keep Grissom in the lineup because he does so much more for you than just, you know, he's a hitter, he's a base runner, he scores a lot of runs. I mean, he's he's got great speed, you know, and I, and he can probably be an average left fielder right off the bat as he's just such a good athlete. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. There's still a month for this to work this stuff out. Ozzy still, there's no rush to get Ozzy back from AAA. That's for sure. Yeah, that's kind of what where I was thinking with it is, you know, I mean, you got to get Ozzy's upside a chance to show up, but at the same time, when you got a good thing going, you don't want to mess with it. And it's funny, you know, a lot of these times, if whoever was filling in at second base was hitting a buck twenty, yeah, you see that player rush back a lot faster. But yeah, we'd see Ozzy already. In this situation, I'm not saying the team doesn't need Ozzy right now, but they they got a good thing going. They got a guy filling in well, so they can afford at least to to wait until he gets hot and wait until he looks right until they you know until it forces their hand. But these situations are tough because you know you don't want to you don't want to piss a guy off. You don't want to you don't want to bring Ozzy up and put him on the bench. But at the same time, the way Grissom has been playing, yeah. you have to keep him in the lineup. You know, that's priority number one. Winning has to be priority number one. You can mix him in in left field and, and get him and Ozzy in games at the same times and then kind of make a decision. But, I mean, if, if Grissom keeps playing like this, he's got to be starting in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the thing is, yeah, you miss Ozzy's energy and all that. Well, Grissom provides that too. I mean, yep. that's the thing is this is a dynamic player that brings so much to your team, at least so far. I mean, maybe teams will make an adjustment. They haven't yet. I mean, he's for real, and he gives you so much uh, energy-wise and all that too. It's uh, so it's got they. It's a, I tell you what, it's a it's a really good problem to have because compared yep. to the opposite. Yep, Jeremy P. What's up, Jeremy? What's up, Jeremy? Hey guys. What's up? Speaking What's of up? speaking of dynamic rookies, um, with this race between Harris and Strider, Eric, I don't know if you've ever said who who you would have as your Rookie of the year. I know Davis said that he would go with Harris. Just wanted to revisit that and see if that's how um, you you guys feel. I know that um, a lot of guys have the have them flip flops just because of what Strider's been doing. He's been really impressive lately. So, uh, like I said, just want to revisit that. See if you still have Harris on top and what you would have, Eric. I still have Harris. If you're asking me, I still have Harris, but it's closer. It's closer than it was three weeks ago. I mean, when you have 16 strikeouts and in eight innings, it gets attention. Um, and and it, it's similar. And I think Eric has said the same thing, but it's similar to how I view the MVP race. Most years, I'm not going to put a pitcher in the top no. MVP ballot unless there's a year where there's not a guy that clearly has an, ex- an incredible year offensively, and there is a pitcher that does goes beyond just a great season and has, yeah. you know, like it's like some of the years that Pedro Martinez had or the year that DeGrom had, where it changes the whole team a lot. But otherwise, I'm going with the everyday position guy over the pitcher. That's why they have a Cy Young Award. Unfortunately, they don't have a pitcher of the year award for a rookie pitcher of the year award. So you got to do that in your own mind, which is more important. And to me, I'm going to go with the position player, all things being equal, over the pitcher. But Strider obviously is making that more difficult, and some guys will vote for him. I think it'll be closer. I think Harris would still win right now, but it's not going to be near. Uh, I thought three or four weeks ago, I thought it would be close to unanimous. I don't think it'll be close to unanimous if the pace continues as it is right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if if Strider wound up, you know, going into the eighth inning two or three more times this year with 15 punches, yeah, I'd, I'd have to at least you know consider it. But for me, the guy that's on the field every single day, every inning of the game, is always going to have the upper hand. And in, in these, you know, and you're right. You got to look at it the same way you look at MVP. Um, I think Strider's just, you know, kind of the thing is that Strider's kind of doing some stuff you've never seen before, at least right. out of a starting pitcher, rookie. I mean, right. it's pretty rare, but Harris has had some huge hits, and it's been more just consistent throughout the and entire time. And gold glove time. defense. Gold glove defense. He's he's come up with big knocks. I mean, if you look at – you can do the same thing for both of them. If you look at either one of them, when uh, Strider got moved into rotation or when Harris got called up, yeah. the team yeah. – 
the team play has changed drastically. But it happened like yeah, it happened like simultaneously. Yep. But for me, you, you just you got it. For me, I always go with the guy that's playing every day, even though you know you got to tip your hat to Strider and say he's doing everything possible he can to kind of make me change that stance. I will say this: if Harris was a mediocre to bad defensive player and was doing yep. what he's doing offensively, I would say Strider. Yep. But, but Harris not. is doing it on both <laughs> sides of the ball. Yeah. Both sides of the ball. For nine every innings. inning of every game. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't trust the defensive metrics enough to say that, you know, it's translating to war where he's just barely ahead of Strider on war. Um, I think you got to watch the guy play and really think about it. But there's a lot of balls he catches that I don't – that he makes look easy that I don't know if other center fielders even get to. And the differences that makes for your pitching staff and guys' confidence throughout the season, too, is something you can't really measure. Yeah. But I, but he is but he I definitely think Strider is making it closer than I thought it would be three four weeks ago. I mean he's just been oh yeah like Eric said he's doing historic stuff. I mean when you're doing yeah. historic stuff it makes people have to pause and consider when you when you might have the high you're going to have the highest strikeout rate of any Braves starter ever. <laughs> that's <pretty laughs> yeah that, rookie or otherwise. Right. Yeah. So I mean that's. I'm I'm with you on that, but he's definitely making it tough. Jonathan D. What's going on, guys? What's up? Hey, just a quick pitching strategy question. When you're thinking about lining up the rotation for the postseason, how important is it to alternate guys with different pitching styles? Eric, you want to take this? I think it can. I think it could be really important, especially in those games where there's back-to-back games. Uh, and it's a really radical difference, you know, going from like a lanky lefty with a great curveball like uh, free to a guy that's a <laughs> a unicorn of sorts in uh, in Strider. But those yeah. on the right side, he's like five inches shorter, throws 101 and has a devastating wipeout slider. I, I would think that would make it hard on hitters. I really do. Uh, but, Eric, what do you think? I've always thought the the most important difference would be just the way they're getting their outs. You know, like if you have a power guy that's really pounding hitters in and making them cheat and shorten their swing and 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 do certain things, and then you have right. a guy that's more crafty, um, yeah, bigger, slower curveball, yeah. changeups, making them keep their weight back. So if you could kind of shift their weight more than anything and, and make them change their approach at the dish, I think it can be you know, really effective. And same thing with, with righty versus lefty. I don't like teams facing, if you have two lefties on your staff, I'd like yes. to break them up, you know, just so they're not seeing a ball coming from that same side um, back-to-back days. But I've, I've thought this matters less and less over the years as starters have gone less and less innings. Right, you know, right. A lot of times you're getting right. two at-bats off the starter and then you're facing these two relievers. So it's – yeah. You don't know which relievers they're going to face. It's hard to line up your your rotation like that. And I think when this thing was really a thing is when you were expecting starters to go six, seven, eight yep. innings. And they might get one at bat off of a relief pitcher um, yep. that, that wasn't the same style as the starter. But now it's – I mean, you could face the starter for – if you're toward the bottom of the order, you might only get one at bat, maybe two off them. And then you're facing two different relievers. So it's really hard to line it up as these yep. different looks. You know, like it, it's not as easy as it was in the past. Great point. And also, teams like the Dodgers in the past, not as much this year, have used platoons that have just yep. made that almost irrelevant. They've used so yep. many platoons. But I tell you what, though, it is going to be the maybe potentially where you could – you were talking about how they get out. You could potentially miss peak Ian Anderson because of that because he's so different than the other guys yeah. in the – in his delivery and the way he gets outs and all that. But obviously he's not pitching well enough to be considered for it right now. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be getting outs for it to matter yeah. in the first yeah. place. <laughs> he'll, he'll figure it out, but he's not there right now. Yeah. Hope that answers your question. Definitely. Thanks guys. Somebody uh, said, I hope we don't see Strider get fatigued down the stretch. Um, I don't think the rules apply with this guy. I mean, and, I, and that's because of, being around him, talking to everybody who's watched him, who knows what he does to prepare for games, who knows the incredible condition that he's got his body in and what he does to keep it that way with the stretching and the diet. I think this guy's a freak, man, and I don't think he's going to fatigue down the stretch. I mean, we're saw, we see him gain, we see him carry his velo 
into the seventh and, I, and, and the other day into the eighth inning. And he's throwing, he's already thrown 20, 30, 20 innings more than he's ever thrown in a, in a season. I just think he's a freak. I don't think the rules apply with this guy. Well, I, it's like what, what we were talking about last week where Kelly was saying, you know, he'd go do his offseason workout and then hit up Chick fil A on the way home. Um, yeah. When I first got called up to the big leagues, the whole team was in the sauna drinking beers after the game. So you're dehydrating yourself and slamming beers that are dehydrating yourself <laughs> even more, you know, and then guys would grab ice cream on their way out of the park. You said at least it's a bad thing. <laughs> well, I know it's awesome. I loved it, but <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Strider's not doing that. You know, no, he's I think not that doing that. <laughs> you really can't compare um, eras or, or or pitch loads or, or workloads or all this stuff with the past because guys have never taken care of themselves the way they take care of themselves right now. So we'll see, but I'm kind of with Dave where I think that he's got a really good shot of. Um, maintaining his energy throughout however long the season goes. Yeah. I think with postseason, this is a kid that could go 160, 70 innings and not really, and still be what he is right now. I think he could do it. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just don't think I, I haven't seen anything like this guy before. Nothing. I agree. AG. AG. Good morning to you guys on the West coast. Um, I may be overthinking this, but in this in this age of analytics, does banning the shift, restricting the shift, give someone like Dansby, who's such a good defender, an advantage in his contract negotiations, either from his side for leverage or in the, the Braves, you know, being more desperate to want to keep him? It could. It could. I mean, it could be a, a consideration when teams look at, hey, we're not going to be able to shift next year. So all these advantages yeah. that we've gained by being on the cutting edge of analytics – we're going to have to rely a little bit more on guys who are both instinctive and have great range. And Dansby is one of those guys. So you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to kind of uh, hide a mediocre defender with great uh, analytics, great shifting, great positioning. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially you're going to want to be athletic at second base because you're not going to have any backup in <laughs> right yeah. center field. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I like, I that, like that. Yep. Guys, let's take a quick break. And then we'll finish up the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Glenn, you, you there? Hey, yes, yes, I am. How are you doing, guys? What's Pretty up? Good. good, good, good. Big fan of the show. Um, listen, I have, a, I had a question while I was watching Strider and the the last game. Given those two, uh, uh, the two latest performances, which one of them did you guys find more impressive? The struggling against Oakland in that first inning, and then come, you know, pitching, you know, fighting his way through that, through that rough start, or the 16 strikeout performance that he had against uh, against Colorado. Uh-huh. And also, and also, Eric, did you ever go through something like that when you started? I mean, I know that you were a reliever, but at any point in your in your career, either in high school or something like that, or in the minors, did you go through something like that where you had struggles in the first inning and then were able to like get get out of that funk and and, and able to pull through? Well, I'll I give can, you. Go ahead, Dave. I'll give my answer on just on that first part and let Eric take over. I know this is a popular, uh, my stance would be the unpopular one because afterwards, a couple of writers and Snit, I think Snit said, agreed. Um, that was even more impressive. Uh, that first inning looked so rocky for them to stick around through six after that really first inning where he's having trouble finding the zone was even more impressive. Well, I think it was really encouraging and it's obviously seeing an aspect to him that you love to see. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm going with 16 strikeouts in eight innings against a really good hitting Colorado team rather than what he did against an Oakland team that's really not very good. Uh, he made Colorado hitters look foolish, and he just completely, completely overwhelmed them. So I'm going to have to go with the edge on the first one. I know I'm in the minority on that probably. But go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I mean, you put it that way. It's I kind of agree. Um <laughs> 
you know, I think that, it, it, like you said, it's a good sign. It's a good sign to to be able to, you know, I thought that was the hurdle Kyle Wright had. Um, oh yeah. He, 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 if he didn't have it, he didn't have it for the day. And being able to adjust mid game, figure it out, and find it. Uh, sometimes it's something as small as the mound, or you know, just the feel of the stadium. Something's not right for you, and you're a little off. And some guys can lock it in, figure it out, put it past them, and other guys fall apart. I, I haven't Eric. seen. Yep. You you pitched on that mound though. Uh, what, do 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 you think that there was uh, is there something that that maybe from from your from your experience that maybe uh might have bothered him that day? I mean No, I'm just I'm just throwing random shit out there. Um <laughs> Yeah, I yeah mean, for me I would say here. I would say that it's a really really good sign for him to have that appearance but um it's like his his 16 strikeouts I didn't I didn't find to be crazy impressive because I'm already crazy impressed with him you know it's it's felt like every start he's made at any minute he could lock in and go on a tear like that and that just happened to be one that he had it together for the whole start and then you see in the open start you know he had a real rocky first and then he locked back into that mode that he keeps going back to for the rest of the start so um just he's just been he's blown me away this year is what I'm trying to say Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Well, Lucas, Lucas T., what's up? Hey, Eric and David. Uh, kind of a follow-up a little bit on Jeremy P.'s uh, question earlier about Strider and Harris. Uh, there's, We've talked a lot about the Freeman and Kimbrell year. Which duo would you all give the vote to Ooh. for best rookie duo of the Braves? And would Harris still get the vote of all four of those. Mm. Wow. It's hard because you know how Freddie's career turned out. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm taking out career, if I'm just going on fresh on rookie year, rookie year, I'm going with Harrison Strider as great as Kimbrell was. Uh, and as great as Freddie was, I think I'm going to go with Harrison Strider just because like I said, Harris plays gold glove defense. Freddie was not an impact guy on defense that early. I mean, not where game changing and, uh, and Strider is doing historic stuff, which Kimbrough was pretty close to it, but I'm going to have to go slight edge to them. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Eric goes the other way. Cause he's got, uh, he's more familiar. He played in that era. So I don't know you at, what about you, Eric? Uh, I just go starter and center fielder over first base and closer. You know, there I you mean, think that there you go. Good. good yeah. It's really hard for me to pick anything over those two just because of how damn good they were and you know how their careers turned out. So if you take their careers out of it and just the contributions they had in their rookie year, I think you got to take a starter and a center fielder over first base and closer. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Lucas. But, man, most teams never have a duo. Would dream of having a rookie duo like that. The Braves are going to have two in barely over a decade. Yep. Jeff L. Jeff I again. Jeff Eric. I. Jeff I. <laughs> Looks hey like guys, I missed the enough. I missed the first part of this thing, so I apologize if I'm asking something someone's already asked. But it, did any did you guys see Kyle that one inning that Kyle right through where the ball he was he wasn't just wild. There was it was almost like watching somebody with the yips. He threw one behind Tony Kemp. He was he was spraying the ball all over the place. And Brian Jordan blamed it on the mound. And I heard you mention something about the mound too, but. Has anyone asked about that or commented about that? It it, it was so strange because he's been so he's been so good all year, and it literally looked like he had the yips for an inning. Pitching's like that, you know. I mean, it's I had plenty of times where you know I was having a good season and I'd come in one day and I knew in my head if the hitters didn't swing, I might walk five. And there's just times where your timing's off or you've got, a, you know, your arm's a little tired or things just aren't syncing up. And all of a sudden it just gets worse and worse if they stop swinging. You know, it's, <laughs> luckily, yeah, they, yeah. luckily yeah. it seems like, you know, if you go out there with good numbers, hitters are always swinging the bat and trying not to get in trouble against you. And they do you a lot of favors. But, um, you know, I, I would just write it off as a random inning that, that just happened for him or a random outing where he just didn't have it that day and he battled through it and give him a pat on the back for battling through it when he didn't have it. Jack B, last one. Hey, guys, how you doing? What's up? Great. So, uh, at this point uh, in the negotiations with Dansby, and I know AA always works like in the dark and we wouldn't know if something is about to happen, but yep. uh, 
do you think that there's still a chance that a deal gets done with Dansby before he reaches free agency? And yep. what would your guys' predictions be on how this is going to turn out? I do think that the deal could get done before he reaches free agency. I do think there's better than a 50-50 chance. I might be in the minority on that, but I really do think that there's a better than 50-50 chance. Um, just because Dansby wants so much to stay here, he's been open about it. I know Freddie was the same way, but Dansby's also hands-on with his agent. There's not going to be a lockout. There's not going to be any time where he's not going to be in communication between the agent and the team if it comes to that. Uh, that would be postseason anyway after the postseason. But Dansby knows what's going on and has made clear to his agent that he wants to be kept abreast at every step. And he's also uh, not going to be a guy that tries to squeeze every dollar out of them, knows there's some other shortstops hitting the market, doesn't want to play in California. He's a, he's a Southern guy. He loves Atlanta. Hates the taxes in California, but he's really just not a, a West Coast guy. He loves Atlanta. He's a Southern guy, as he told me. You know, I'm a Southern dude. Played a cold career here. Doesn't want to leave. And uh, I think he's. I think he puts enough emphasis on where he wants to be. His family's down here. You know, so is his. Uh, you know, his, his parents live real close by, and and that's where he's from. And he's really comfortable in this clubhouse and around these coaches and snit. And, you know, and that's going to change over years. It's not going to be the same guys here every year, but he's just really comfortable in the setting. I think that means a lot to him. As for the brace perspective, Alex is nothing if not smart and shrewd. And he knows that clubhouse chemistry and all that. He took a gamble and in a sense that he, he knew, but he knew Matt Olson pretty well and talked to a lot of people and knew how well he would fit in here. And he has fit in here well. And he also knew Freddie, as much as Freddie had evolved into a leader, they had some other guys on this team that could also step up as leaders, and they have done that. But I think Alex is smart enough to know that you can't just keep lopping off pieces of your culture and expect it to continue, that there has to be some kind of connecting thread. And you can't put – you have to put some stock into that, and Dansby is that guy. And uh, and you're not going to turn that position over to a rookie next year and expect it just to continue. You know, you go from the veteran captain of the un- unquestioned leader of the infield, the captain of the infield, as Riley says, who 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 uh, who Wash uh, trust to set up the defense. He's come that far that Wash doesn't even have to do it anymore. Dansby does it. So you're going to have to take all that away if you turn it over to a rookie next year in Grissom. So in reality, if they don't resign. Dansby, they're probably going to have to go out and get a bridge guy for a year before Grissom could take it over and then decide, you know, have Grissom play in left field or something. Cause I don't think you can have a, a, a rookie play in that position next year. So long story short, I think they can get Dansby signed. And if I'm just going to guess, just wild guess, I would think something in the, in the range of five years, 200 million might get it done or six years with a little less. AAV or maybe an option attached five with a six year off, something like that, just and give or take $20 million in the, in the big picture. But you get what I'm saying, you know, yeah. something around 20 million a year, I think is probably what he can command in the open market, given how far he's come and how good he is defensively. Now on top of being a 25 to 30 home run hitter. Yeah. Thanks for all that, David. And, and one more thing you didn't even mention was, is the incentive that Dansby would have that, the infield that he's going to be playing with is going to be absolutely. Set. absolutely. Those guys are set. He loves playing with them. You know, I mean, he's one of those guys that that's important to some players. It's not, they can, but they can pick up and go to another team and know they're going to fit in fine. And everything's going to be dandy. They're going to be making the absolute most money that they can make, which their agent might want them to do. Dansby's not one of those guys, unless I just have a really bad read on him. Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Yep. You think it can still get done? Eric, uh, I don't know why it wouldn't by now if it was going to get done, but before free agency, you mean? I, and just yeah, I just I don't know what else there is to see, <laughs> right? You know, or or what, you know, unless it's Grissom that kind of going. showing up and doing what he's doing has made the Braves feel better about possibly losing him, but yeah, yeah, I just I, I don't think, I think I, they can I, let him go. I think they wanted to wait once again to see just how far this could go with the revenues and all that. And they, because they didn't start really talking contract until late again, kind of like they did with Freddie. But uh, 
I also think that they, they they won't don't want to make that same mistake. So there's a lot of time to get this done before free agency, unless he's a player who's you know who has said and he doesn't strike me as this. When I talk to him off the record, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to go. You know what? I took the risk this far. I'm going to take it to free agency. What's out there? That just I haven't got that feel for it. Which I would I would understand and I would blame a guy if he did. We've said that ourselves. I wouldn't blame a guy if that's the the stance he took. But I don't think he is looking at it that way. No, but you know he's still got to play the game and and try to get the the maximum dollar he can, even Absolutely. if he knows he's staying with Atlanta. Got to get um, a fair offer. Can't just be like, well, I want to stay here really bad. And the Braves throw him six years at twelve million a year, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. You know, I mean, he's still got to play the game whether he wants to or not. Right. And you get this close to free agency, you know, all of a sudden you have a ton of leverage of at least being able to put some other offers in the Braves' face and say, hey, you know, right. the Dodgers called and they're at six years, one forty. And, you know, I mean, you get to see how do you feel about that? And, and, and then you also get to know, you know, how much of a discount you, you're taking. Um, if you don't get to the point, if you come this far and you don't even listen to any other teams before you decide what deal you want to take with Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you don't even have a gauge on how big of a discount you're giving him. I mean, if he goes out and finds out some team wants to offer him. 30 a year for five years and his best offer from the Braves is like five for 110. I mean, I know he wants to stay, but does he want to stay 40 million, you know, that big of a gap. And at least, you know, if you go out and you just float your, you just kind of float some deals and see what's out there. You can tell how big of a discount you're really taking versus just signing blind with the only organization you've had a chance to negotiate with. Oh, I I absolutely see your point there. And I think it's very valid. Um, on the other hand, how about if you're his agent and you go, you know what? I don't really want to see the difference in the offers that there are for Trey Turner and for my guy because I think my guy's as good as him, you know? And I don't want there to be a $7 million a year gap between my what my guy's offered some teams and what Trey Turner's offered. I don't right. know. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then at the same time, it's if, if you wind up signing some deal with and and you Dan's been you sign a deal and you see Trey Turner get double that or something like that. You know he's not right. double as good as you. You know, I mean it's just it's good to have this ability to compare and that's part of what you know, that's your reward for waiting so long is Yeah. If yeah. the team's if the team, you know, I mean I'm sure they're not offering him anything crazy at this point because they've still got team control and they know he wants to be there. So I think if it was fair, Dansby would have already signed, or if it was what he thought he was worth, he would have already signed. And I think the team's playing their game and and he's playing his. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough that it has to play out like this, but this is how it always has to play out unless the team comes out with a really fair deal. And the guy's like, you know what, this is where I'm going to be. And he takes a small discount, but there's no telling how big that discount is or how fair the offer is until. Yeah. You know, you either go to free agency or just accept that you're happy where you're at and you don't care what's fair. I guess I guess if there's one encouraging thing for Brace fans, it would be that uh, they've not insulted him with an offer. Because if they had, he'd say, uh, I've come this far. I'm going to go to free agency and the Brace and I will definitely listen to the Brace, but I'm going to listen to other teams. And he hasn't said that. You know what I mean? If they right. just insulted him so far with offers. Yeah. There you go. I guess we're real. We, we tried to answer it, but I know we probably didn't. But I, I don't know that it's answerable at this point. Right. I agree. All right. That wraps it up for today. We'll talk to you guys next week. Great questions, man. Appreciate it, yep. everybody. Good stuff. Good stuff.